Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Thank you for listening to Spin, the rally pod, brought to you by Dirtfish Rally School. For your chance to experience life behind the wheel of a rally car, head to drive.dirtfish.com to find the course that's right for you. What are you waiting for? We're right here waiting for you. Welcome to another episode of Spin the Rally Pod. I'm Brenton Kelly. We're here at LSPR, Lake Superior Performance Rally. Joining me today is David Evans, Steve Gingras. Am I saying that right? No. Gingros? Ging... Gingras. Gingras. Okay, I've been saying it wrong all year, as well as Eric Carlson. We've got uh, basically the two co-chairs of the event, if I'm saying that correctly. David? Yeah. Your name has been, it was a subject of, of Steve's name, sorry, that, that doesn't really work on a podcast to point to you, but Colin was, Colin Clark, who sadly has had to uh, to fly home a little bit, uh, not earlier, earlier than planned, but he's on an earlier flight, so he he can't be with us uh, on the pod, but Colin was telling me, oh, we could, no, 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 he, he's French, he's Jean Gras. <laughs> well, no, that's correct, when I race in Quebec, really? it is Jean Gras. Really? So we should... We'll aspire to getting that right next year. I'll try. It's, yeah. it's, we'll try. <laughs> Every time it's, I see it, it's we, we struggled with some names. Yeah. Certainly, some more than others. But no, it is. From my side, just I want to say thank you uh, because you know it's my first time uh, here in in Marquette and at LSPR Lake Superior Performance Memorial Rally. That's going to stay, isn't it? The memorial aspect of the name. So the the memorial, the Lake Superior Memorial Rally, is actually the name of the regional rally. Right. Sorry. Yes. Right. So, but that now will stay. Yes, it will. It will stay in perpetuity. And if you look at if you look on the website right now, we have several people that have been very important to the Lake Superior Rally and even the POR back in those days that are memorialized on the website. Mm. And hopefully, not too often, but uh, as things happen, we will continue to uh, add people to that list and memorialize them as well. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where do we want to start, but you know, for me, we either start with with what a great event it was, or I think carrying on that theme, just to look back to what happened last year and and to to being in Lance for the Park Exposé on Saturday morning, the emotions that were generated by you know the loss of Aldante's Junior last year was it was tremendously keenly felt in the community here. And Steve, what you did, you know, the the speech that you made in, in Park was incredible. Uh, so, you know, good on you for, for saying that. But how's it been this year after everything that happened 12 months ago? So, you know, obviously 12 months ago was a shock. And just to be able to pull the rally off last year was a feat. And we really needed to come together as a community to make last year happen. And this year... It was significantly easier than last year, and we still had a lot of good feelings, and 
the memorial at in Lance, I think, was I'm hoping that it, we can kind of look at it as as the closing of that chapter. I mean, we're going to continue to remember Al. Al was such a a strong a strong figure in the rally community, and, and the people that he attracted and the people that he brought to rally are going to be there, and we're still going to remember him. But I'm, I'm hoping that we can close the chapter on really and get and move on. Mm. But you know, I, I don't know if that's going to be possible or not. No, he clearly was such a, a, a big member of the community. But I think now moving on this one, and it's your podcast, BK, I'll leave you in peace in a sec, but there is an elephant in the room here that we do need to address. Eric Carlson. It's rare that we have a podcast with Eric Carlson. Uh, is, is there any connection? I mean, every no. other Swede's called no, Carlson. No, unfortunately. But have, you, have you had a good look back in your... Oh, yeah. yeah. I met him. That was, was very exciting. The very first rally I ever went to, which is the very first rally Steve and I both started at in 1986. You met him? Uh, one, uh, no, he wasn't there, but I, I pulled into the MTC, and the matron of the sport at, our, at that point in time says to me, you have the best rally name ever. And I had no idea what she was talking about. So it was kind of fun to learn about that later. And, yeah, eventually meet him. It was great. I mean, he was an absolute legend, as, yeah. as include, indeed you are, of course. Yeah. I, w I was visiting some friends in Kenya in 97, and I visited the Rally Kenya headquarters and walked in. And I think, you know, it's wide open. You can just walk into the building. And a uh, lady came out and said, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I'm just looking for a place to buy a T-shirt or something. And, and she says, well, we don't have those here. Those are across town at such and such. But anyway, she says, uh, what's your name? And I said, Eric Carlson. Two more people piled out of their offices and came out and shook my hand and said, how do we get you to come here and race? The only, the first non-African to ever win this event was Eric Carlson. And oh my God, oh my God. I said, yeah, I'm not him. <laughs> but yeah, it's been a fun, fun rally name. Yeah. Stepping back a little bit, your guys' first rally, so it was 86? Tell 86. us a little bit about that. Well, Dire Straits, right? Yeah, Dire Straits and Mackinac. We weren't racing together. Okay. But it is my first race in a rabbit GTI, and uh, I don't know. I still remember. I still remember it. And but actually, it was kind of terrifying to get you know the first race that I ever did. What is the dire straits of Mackinac Rally? I'm from an hour and a half away from there, and I've never even heard of it. So it, it was a rally that was on Highway 123, I Trout think. Lake. Trout Lake. Okay. And it's just a regional rally based in that area. And in the Straits of Mackinac, everybody knows that. But they added dire. Not everybody. Straits. Oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, that's what they call the Mackinac Bridge in that area is the Straits. Right. Straits of Mackinac. And so they just added dire in front of it. Kind of a cool, creative name. Like many rallies are around the country. It's yeah. Kind of cool. What were you both driving? I was Mitsubishi driving. Celeste, also known as the Plymouth Arrow, the first rebadged Mitsubishi in the, in the U.S., was our car. We ran that car for 12 years, I think. And I was running, I was co-driving for the guy that was our zero car in the White Eclipse, Chris Izzio. And then I Good was friend. driving a Rabbit GTI, 84 Rabbit GTI. Wow. We've been friends our whole lives, and we just kind of compared notes recently and figured out that our starting event was the same one. We didn't, we didn't really know that. Yeah, Seriously? Yeah. yeah, we didn't know each other That's at all. That's amazing. How, when did you guys actually end up meeting then? Soon thereafter, I think. Yeah. Because we got involved and we're doing a lot of regional rallies and things like that and then you moved to hermantown when i was living in duluth That's minnesota right. and then we we actually had ambitions to putting a, a rally on and we were looking for rally roads around duluth minnesota you know this was 20 years ago and then to, to come to find out that we're we're putting on one of the biggest rallies in north america now <laughs> <laughs> definitely one of the biggest rallies and i mean honestly this was uh 
one of the most spectacular rallies of the year, you know, going to most of the events and, and seeing all the, the spectators and just how it was all organized and how smooth it ran. And the volunteers, I got to ask, how many volunteers and what was that process like getting all these volunteers, not only signed up, but organized? How do you control that many people? Well, we, we have a big committee and I want to make it bigger. We want to kind of bake in succession plans with assistants and leaders, but our volunteer committee is made up by a, a, a core group of really passionate people and we did a lot of promotion. We have rally nights at two different colleges. We're, we're continually promoting the event and uh, trying to drive people to, to the sign-up page and we had over 400 volunteers. We actually turned off volunteer registration because we, we didn't want to deal with any more people. Hey, hang on a second, you turned off volunteer registration. Yes. You had that many, that many people wanted to be involved in the event yeah. that you yes. had to start saying no to people. That's yes. remarkable. I don't think I've ever, in two decades in this sport, I don't think I've ever heard of an organizer that's had to do that. Yeah, it, it, it's very unusual. We've kind of been running on a shoestring, it seems like it takes 300 people to put this thing on and we had 400 this year and you know just getting that group together and, and trying to figure out better ways to go get people I, I spent a good deal of this year going to other events drag races and car shows and you know having rally posters everywhere I went and off in a rally car to, to show off to people and have people ask questions because a lot of people know what it's like or they've seen you know things online or they watch tv shows that have it but they've never been to one yeah. I'm like, come on up. And we yeah. have a couple feeder regional rallies in the UP in the summer, too, that that's kind of growing quite rapidly, and that helps feed this and vice versa. So we help them out. They help us out. And a lot of the organizers get together and help each other out. It's, it's really a fun community just amongst the organizers as well. Yeah. I, but, I would like to just wind back a little bit, though, or not, and maybe even wind forward, but when, when does this process start? When did you first start to think about the 2023 LSPR? A couple weeks before the 2022 one. I mean, really? we, yeah, we kind of have had one of our line items on, on meetings is next year, dot, right. dot, dot, and fill in, you know, throw down ideas before this event happens, and then when we get together, as soon as this one's done. So if you already recap, met about we'll, the 2024 event now? It'll, it's already in the works, yeah. We're, there's uh, three different groups out running potential stage roads today. <laughs> and, uh, and we have a lot of neat new possible roads it's kind of fun and just stepping back just a hair for the followers that don't understand when we're referencing the up that is the upper peninsula of michigan michigan is split into two portions and a lot of our viewers obviously are not familiar with uh, the u.s in general david just found out where michigan was this week i found out why you're called the troll yeah exactly so <laughs> the upper peninsula of michigan you got the straits of mackinac breaking down the the lower half of michigan there and under the bridge the mackinac bridge the longest suspension bridge in the northern hemisphere is basically uh, if you're below the bridge, you're a troll. And, and the Upper Peninsula are youpers. You and and how long uh, did you say how long the bridge was? Uh, I think it's just about five miles. Mm. And that's enormous. If, if you include the pro tramps and everything, I'm pretty sure it's closer to seven. Okay, that's see, I yeah, said that earlier, huge. and someone was like, "No, it's five. And I'm like, "I thought it was seven growing up." And I always tell people five. So. Yeah. It's longer than the Golden Gate Bridge, and that gets all the attention. So. Under promise, yeah. over deliver, right? I believe it. <laughs> was it? It was originally where, like you said, that first part you used to have to take a ferry from there yeah. to get across. Yep. Yeah. So. Actually, my my uh, grandfather used to be uh, work on the ferry boat. Okay. I, I think we need to, you know, between whether it's five or seven, it's considerably larger than the <laughs> the biggest bridge in Britain. Let's be honest. <laughs> so, I mean, thinking about that bridge and having to take the ferry. When we had the press on regardless rally, would those rally cars had to have taken the 
bridge, or would it have been the ferry for the WRC event here? The bridge, I think, was it completed would have been the in 49, so it would have yeah. been, they, they drove over the bridge, yeah. Okay, see, I'm, yeah, I'm a little younger, so <laughs> I don't remember those days. We've got to wind back, though, because one of the things that we were really keen to talk to you both about was the fact that this this event traces its route back to the, the Press on Regardless rally, which, of course, was America's first ever round of the world rally championship. So tell us, you know, I know, Steve, you have some, some great memories of, of 73 or more, 74. 74. No, it would have been 73, yeah. Yeah, so tell us, what, what do you remember from that event? So uh, I just remember my dad said, come on, we're going down to the Marquette Mall parking lot, and we're going to watch the race start. And I remember the... Uh, the ramp, the cars are driving up over the ramps, the drivers are getting out and waving, and there's these really weird-looking European cars full of stickers. <laughs> and they drove off the ramp, and I just thought it was so cool. And uh, I, I don't know. I have to ask my dad the question, but if he, if he ruse that day, because obviously it, it changed my life, it changed the whole direction of my life. It, it, it is. I mean, it, you almost get goosebumps when you when you say that, because that's what this sport does to people, isn't it? It just yeah. it gets you, and you remember that precise moment. And for me, it's it's the same. You know, I remember why I got so completely engrossed and engaged in it. And what about yourself, Eric? Well, and the other thing I think about it that's awesome is the community, whether it's the rally drivers or the competitor crews and things like that. They like hanging out with each other. I mean, mm. they, they, you might the person most likely to give you a tug in the woods and pull you out is probably the person competing with you for that round of the championship or whatever you know and somebody in your class that by pulling you out mm. actually helps you compete against them and you know that, that just happens all the time and it's it's fun to see yeah that the pr started as a tsd rally downstate and uh explain tsd yeah so time speed distance rallying road rallying uh not high speed uh all everything's done uh on public roads and within all the rules and speed limits and things like that but a lot of those drivers like driving briskly, as they like to say. And so one of the nice ways to do that was move it up to the Upper Peninsula. And then it evolved from there into a performance rally where you close off sections of roads and actually race on those roads. And then we mimic uh, the old time speed distance rallies on our transit stages by making sure you get from point A to point B at, at, a, at a given amount of time, not early, not late. And that's more like the old uh, road rallies where so there's not a whole lot of crossover of the community, unfortunately, but I hope that that's something we can help them out with and they can help us out with more. And mm. I think it's a good thing. It's not us versus them. It's we all we all win. When yeah, we I, I think together. for me, yeah. the, the, the remarkable thing was the fact that it started in Detroit, Yeah. which even with my limited geographical knowledge of America, it's, it's quite a long way from Detroit to here. It's a long way. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, they would they would race. They would start it in Belle Isle, in, right inside Detroit, and they would do literally cross-country cross country rally and end up in the UP and, and, and then race back. They'd have something like 60 or 70 stages in the rally, and it's just unfathomable how they could organize that today. Uh, yeah. Multiple days. Um, and that POR, I don't know if I mentioned it, but that's called Press On Regardless, and that was really kind of the mantra of this as it turned into a performance rally was it was tough. It was tough to finish the darn event, let alone win. And just Press On Regardless was kind of a cool name that yeah. we all loved and, and jumped on. And then that event or that name returned to road rallying a number of years ago, and that's when the Lake Superior Performance Rally evolved into what it yeah. is today. An interesting uh, historical fact is that in 73, the vehicle that won it was a, you know, a high-speed uh, 
purpose-built rally car called a Jeep Wagoneer. All-wheel V8, all-wheel drive, weighed about you know, 6,000 pounds. <laughs> but because of that vehicle, all-wheel drive cars were banned in WRC up until the Audi Quattro became yeah. entered. Yeah, that's, it is a remarkable story, and that's one that you can read about on, on dirtfish.com. A Gene, what was his name? Henderson. Henderson. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, Gene Henderson. What about, I mean, obviously you're far, far too young to remember anything in the 70s. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I mean, I think these guys, uh, I mean, I don't want to age myself here, but they uh, were rallying before I was born here. So uh, this was my first rally actually in 2012. But what about going back? Do you, have you read local history? Do you know? Did you know much about yeah. PR? Yeah, definitely. You know, I've looked through some of the history, and I think uh, it's something to point out that even some of the the old stages of snowdrift, I believe, overlapped with some of the POR stages. You look at some of the old videos from POR, started on Belle Isle, went up through Lansing, came up through the snowdrift area, up through Mackinac, maybe even through the center of UP, and then kind of ended all the way up to Copper Harbor, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah, depending on the schedule or the, the route, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just for the viewers, you know, that that's a just to go from Copper Harbor to Detroit, you're looking at an eight, 10 hour drive if you're going in one shot. Yeah, so that's it's, probably close to 12. Yeah, okay, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a haul. Yeah, it's a that's a hike. And to think about how the rally was going with that many stages, it's uh, it's amazing to think about the distance and the efforts and the, the logistics of something like that yeah. uh, compared to today's rallies. I mean, the logistics are still tougher to get roads probably than it was back then. And, yeah. Uh, maybe a little more lenient with uh, some of the road sections back then. I've always heard some stories about maybe some speeders and uh, things that happened during that rally. I don't know, Steve, if you can tell us some, uh, maybe some history there. So the, one of the most famous stories is, uh, uh, involves Alonso Stratus, uh, and they were late on a transit, and they were hustling to try to make up their time and get, get to the, the next start control, and uh, they passed the cop, and the cop gave chase. And they got to the control, Went into the time control, got to the start line, and started the stage as the as the patrol car reached the start and tried to chase him down the stage, and he didn't make it very far. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's interesting. I wonder if the the policeman actually stopped to check in at the control, or just put the blues and twos and went straight through. I think you need Steve to tell us who they are. Who was the driver? The of that driver was Sandra Manaria. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> Yeah, and we were banned from holding rallies in that county until the sheriff retired, and it took about 30 years for him to retire, but now we're, we're doing rallies wow. in their county again. That's less cool. That's awesome. <laughs> Sorry. That's something I want to ask about this rally now. You know, the, the road sections here, I say road sections because whenever we say transits, all of our European viewers think we're talking about vans. So, <laughs> yeah. How many counties does this rally actually go through and in? Five counties? I think we're, yeah, five counties. We touch five counties. So, yeah, we have to get road permissions and have conversations with each of those groups. Um, usually, you know, sometimes sit in on the road commission meetings. Uh, we're really fortunate to have access to the roads that we do up here. It's, it's, that's become one of the organizers across the country. Their biggest challenge is, is getting access to roads and then having to pay to repair them when we're done. Uh, our Friday night stages are all on U.S. Forest Service roads which they, they're huge fans. They're big supporters. They're just amazing folks, and they love it when we use their roads because they, they only get used by loggers and hunters other than that. And, uh, and they welcome us back every year. They, but with the government shutdown that almost happened a month ago, that would have likely taken all of our Friday stages away, and we'd had to reconfigure the rally just a couple weeks prior to it happening. And that happened back in 2013, right. the last government shutdown. And so... 
we had our fingers crossed. And politics aside, we were really happy they settled at least for 45 days because now they can argue about whatever they want. But our event was able to use the roads and happen, and we're we're grateful. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Just we have to. You mentioned your this was your first event. Yep. In 2012. As a competitor. Yeah. As a competitor. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. And and you told us some stories in the car about. Don't look at me like that. You should have known me. <laughs> no, not those stories. <laughs> not those stories. But the ones about kind of helping out and, and the competitor sort of relationships that you generate and everybody helps everybody out. That's one story. And then we need to go and go to your story about how close you came to succeeding on this. To right? winning. Okay. So yeah, said. so, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you know, that's something we saw a lot of just sportsmanship. There's no other way to put it. You know, I think it was maybe 2014... 14 or 15, I was battling with Sam Caltech for first in the regional, and we finished the last stage in Houghton, heading towards the, the host hotel there for the podium. And uh, it really was coming down to times with me and Sam, you know, fairly close. And about a mile after the stage, I see Sam pulled over on the road. His motor was blown. And all I had to do was drive past him and get to the control, and I would have won, won the regional. And I was like, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. So, you know, I got out, pulled over, got my strap out towed Sam to the control and took the strap off and pushed him across the finish line. So, you know, I'm not going to win on a technicality like that. But that's something, you know, you see a lot of that in America. And it says, especially with Zach Jocks here in the regional this weekend, we, yeah. see him, we saw him come off a of stage 15 double trouble and, I mean, just gushing coolant out yeah. of the front. Just a massive, you know, almost a golf ball size hole, which they ended up sticking a screwdriver handle through at the end to be able to plug the hole and continue the rally. But... Uh, another competitor, that last road section, I'm not sure exactly how far it was from Trouble to Marquette, but it was a good 20, 30 minutes to get to Marquette Mountain. Hmm. A competitor towed him so that they didn't have to... Run the engine. Exactly, so that they could keep it cool. Yeah. In that tow, they did stop at one of the lakes and fill up a couple of buckets and bottles that they had in the car with water so that they were actually putting lake water into the radiator to be able to finish the rally, and uh, he came out on top of the regional as well. It's not, you know, those are the stories, aren't they, that you just remember. That is the sort of fabric of this event, really. Parts yeah. get shared, crew teams yeah. share people to help out the person coming in with, with more challenges than maybe your team. It's, 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 it's a neat community. Yeah, no, it is. Now, I'm going to sit back, and, and you told me this story when we were in the woods on, on Thursday, and I loved it the first time. So tell us. Over to you, Steve. Tell so, us about So in 95, I was running a production GT car, which is the second fastest uh, class at the time. It was essentially a, a Gallant VR4 uh, with a different body for, for everybody else. So it's a Mitsubishi Eclipse, all-wheel drive turbo. And we're, uh, we're competing on Friday. And from out of nowhere, a huge snowstorm blanket the area. Over 10 inches of heavy, heavy wet snow. It stuck to the rally lights. We're trying to race at night. I'd get up to the start line. And uh, we would have the start line worker clean our lights off. And we would drive as fast as I could for, for the first five miles, and then the lights get covered with snow, couldn't see anything. But growing up in the UP, I know how to drive in snow. I'm not afraid to drive in snow. And the whole time I'm giving myself a pep talk about how this is my rally, I got this, this is me. All, all those California guys are just scared. They're scared, running scared trying to keep up, and I'm, I'm gonna, this is my rally, I'm going to win it. They actually ended up canceling half of the night stages because it was snowing so much the trees were getting pulled down. And then there was a, a serious civilian accident not related to the race at all that took away all our medical. So they had to cancel the rest of the rally or the rest of the night. So we started off Saturday. We're third overall. 
We're about two minutes out of first place. There's a Mitsubishi Evo leading the rally. There's a, a Escort Kazi is second, and we're third. And the tires that I'm racing on, I would buy from the guy in the Kazi. <laughs> so we started off the first stage on Saturday morning, and I beat the Kazi, and I, I got out, and I, I teased him, teased Carl a little bit, a good friend of mine, and he's a really good friend of mine. And, I got out, I teased him a little bit about beating him and my, my, little, my little Eclipse beating his Kazi. And then the next stage was Delaware Mine. Mm -hmm. Super fast, horsepower stage. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, watching him start the stage, it, Bill, my co-driver, uh, he looks over at me and goes, yeah, you must have gotten his head a little bit because he just started amazingly aggressively. And uh, we finished the stage, and uh, we get to the end of the stage, I found out that he beat me by like 20 seconds, which is... It was amazing, it was only 20 seconds. And uh, we did the transit to the next stage, and Carl's got his hood up, he's pouring water in the thing, or water and oil, and uh, um, I said to Bill that, hey, we're gonna catch him on this next stage, he's gonna be pulled over with his hood up. So we go into the stage, and a mile in, the Mitsubishi's pulled over with his hood up. We go by him, and then we catch, catch Carl on the stage, nose to tail with him, and then there was a bump that his, Escort leaped over like a deer and we plowed into it like a water buffalo and we actually broke the front motor mount out of the block of the motor. And that ruptured our oil return line, so we're spewing oil. Luckily though, we're going right to transit, or right to uh, service. Their service, service area was literally a half mile from the end of the stage. And we get out of the stage and Carl pulls over, his rally's over. So we, you're now leading. We're leading. And bleeding and bleeding. Right? <laughs> bleeding and bleeding, wow. So uh, we get there, it's the middle of the day, my crew chief puts the lights, light pot on the car, or the light bracket on the front of the bumper, and we ratchet the motor forward into the broken motor mount, and back to the community, all of our rally friends brought all their oil over. We're dumping oil in the car all the time. We, we put like a clamp and, and duct tape and rubber hose around the, the brake and the, the oil return line, but it's still hemorrhaging oil. And we took off down the road and we dumping oil in every chance we get and we did a couple more stages. We get to uh, the final service and we borrow more oil from more friends. <laughs> and we're, we have a 45 second lead. The Mitsubishi Evo with Henry, Henry Joy, he got going again. And, but we still got a lead over him. He's limping. We just got to get to the finish. We're going to win the rally. going to win my home, home event. We left the service area, we went about a mile up the road, we were pulling away from a stop sign and the transmission decided it didn't want to be a transmission anymore and race was over. It was in 95 and uh, it still hurts. Yeah. I was gonna say, how do, you, how do you get over that? You know, this is, this is your home round. You know, it's the biggest rally in your local area and a chance to win it. You know, it's a massive deal, isn't it? Yes, yes, it was. We we're. I'm probably making it worse right now. <laughs> uh, we were, well, He's crying. We, now. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were devastated, and obviously, and it, it really hurt. But you know, I thought we'd come back next year and do it again, and we never had that opportunity to. I was going to say, close did again. you? No, no, it just didn't happen. No. But as a middle of pack competitor and in the same classes, Steve, at that same event, you know, the retirement of all those top guys really helped us out an awful lot. So we appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for, <laughs> thanks, thanks for your friendship. I, I, think, I, I think our PGT rank was one higher than it would have been as a result of that event. All rallying, one source. By now, you know that Dirtfish.com is the place to go for all of your rallying news. But when it's time to try your hand behind the wheel, just join us here at Dirtfish Rally School, nestled in the Cascade Mountains in Snoqualmie, Washington. 
Whether you're a pro seeking extra seat time or a novice looking to get started, we've got programs tailored to all rallying needs. And when you want to watch the best in the world, just head over to our YouTube channel. Our coverage of the WRC and American rallying is second to none. Follow us at Dirtfish Rally across all social media platforms and shop the latest looks in our merchandise store now. As always, rally on. I got to ask, you know, looking back to the, the 95 time period events, you know, huge entry at this event. I, I, dare I said, probably the largest of the season, almost 80 cars. What, what was the entry field like back then? How many cars? Probably similar, I think. I think a little less, like in the 50s, maybe yeah. high 50s. Yeah. That seems like it. I know that. Uh, we used to all fit in the D Stadium in Hoat. We'd start on an ice rink. That was where Park Expose was in, in a building on an ice rink. And uh, then we'd leave there and do a high-speed run through downtown Houghton, which was, I can't believe nobody ever, first of all, that they allowed it and that there wasn't an accident because, I mean, we'd go really fast through downtown Houghton. And it was sanctioned and everybody approved of it and the crowds would stand on the side of the road. And it was really cool. And that's how we, that was our ceremonial start back then. I remember STPR, though, back in that day when it was a one-day rally. They had, like, 100 competitors and they'd have a waiting, waiting list for people to to be in that rally. Yeah, we, we had a 75-car limit, and we actually had 83 entrants for, for quite a while. Okay. We opened up entry, and within a week, we had it full. Really? Which is, mm -hmm. yeah. That's pretty impressive, yeah. isn't it? I yeah. got to ask, when you say D Stadium, is that one of those old wooden right, ice rinks? Old hockey arena, yeah. Okay, yeah. so for those of you who don't know, Houghton, Michigan, they consider that the birthplace of hockey. And we have these old arenas here that are just magnificent old wooden structures, kind of dome-ish. And uh, I, we used to have one in my hometown as well. It's now gone, but they're a really unique thing to see in Michigan, and I can only imagine seeing a, that thing full of cars. Yeah, not, not to contain or to manage the temperature or anything, but to keep the snow off the ice was the biggest reason there was a structure. Yeah, really? they were always still freezing. Yeah, they were, they were not hot in those things at Naturally all. Naturally cooled, they yeah. called them. <laughs> and you, you had another story, just a brief aside, about, about basketball. Oh, yeah, so uh, all the NBA courts... Uh, basically are made from wood out of the top of the Keweenaw. So anytime you're watching a National Basketball Association game, or <laughs> the NBA, any game, any court, comes from the upper Keweenaw. And, uh, Which yeah. is right around here somewhere. Mm -hmm. yeah. Ish. A little north. Yeah, a little north. Yeah, yeah well, something unique. Is that the biggest, apart from Brenton Kelly coming from Michigan, obviously, is yeah. it, what else is, is, is big around here? I mean, obviously, the copper mining. You know, that's uh, yeah. the, the history here. You see a lot of the Finnish history and yeah. just uh, massive amounts of copper mines. You hear a lot of them referencing stages of mine this, and that's all references to the different mines in the area. Uh, you know, you hear what was some of the, the mine stages you had mentioned earlier. Uh, Delaware Mine was a was a copper mine up in uh, up in the Keweenaw. Uh, there's also a lot of iron mines here, too. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I, I, that was one thing that, that completely caught me by surprise. And the one guy that we didn't catch up with this weekend, Saku Hirama, is obviously a great... Finnish driver, um, but I'd never understood, or I'd never even known about the Finnish influence, um, and it was about Finns um, migrating to this part of the world uh, for jobs in, in the mines, because they worked, I think, in Norwegian mines and were known to be hard workers, but there are, well, Al Dantes was, uh, uh, he had a Finnish grandfather, mm -hmm. is that correct? And, you know, there's all this, the Sisu challenge. Uh, which is a is a big deal. I had no concept of this Finnish influence. Yeah. So the yeah the whole area is is based on copper mining and iron mining, and a lot of the immigrants that came to this area were were Finns and and Corn, from Cornwall, England as well. Yep. Oh really? Yeah. yeah so we have uh, big mines there. Yeah. If there's 
pasty shops everywhere from that's Cornish pasties. Yeah, indeed. I've BK is a big fan of the pasty. I've been telling him that I got to get him to a couple of the pasty shops here before he goes. And uh, yeah, I mean, the pasties, obviously. How many do you do in a day? I could eat I, easily five of those things in a day. You know, <laughs> I used to like buying them, just put them in foil and heat them up in the oven and you're good to go. Obviously, I got to say that my favorite one is the Thanksgiving pasty with a little bit of cranberry and turkey in there. Oh, yeah. so I got one question, though. Ketchup or gravy? And you're going to say gravy, aren't you? I'm gonna, I, I go with ketchup. I go with ketchup. Ketchup's yeah. the best. <laughs> would, it, would it be rude to go with ketchup and gravy? I don't know that that would work well. Yeah. I'm a gravy guy, so I'm on the other side of the fence. On <sighs> <that one. laughs> <laughs> we, there was the, the point you mentioned there about Park Exposé, and, you know, I think it's, it's an incredible concept and one that is kind of unique, I think, to, to American rallying, and it's certainly something WRC should look to embrace, but that was much has impressed me about this event. But getting to Park Exposé, Park Exposé, for those who don't know, it's all of the crews, all of the field, the whole field has to come. Yes, have, have to be there. Yeah, yeah, have to be there. And they generally, everybody sets up a board, and a, a table, sorry, and signs autographs. And just the whole field comes together for an hour. Um, and it's just an incredible atmosphere. All the spectators come. Friday morning, I've never seen on an ARA round as many people. And it was, it was fantastic. You know, the weather was beautiful. To just describe a little bit, the, the fall, the autumn colours up here are absolutely stunning. And it's a beautiful part of the world. And to actually walk into that car park of the dealership that we were at and see hundreds of people, it, you really felt privileged to be here. And it was just sensational. And it kind of started the event so well, didn't it? Definitely. Yeah, you know, there was tons of people there. And uh, it really gives everyone an opportunity to get up close and personal with the cars. You know, my first couple of rallies, yeah. I, you know, they don't release all the stage maps. So, you know, you just see a car on the road and you follow it and try to get to a stage start. And you get to see the cars for a second. You know, maybe as they're lining up in front of the time control there, you go and peek in the cars, check stuff out. But then finding out and understanding, oh, there's a park expose where I can go walk up to these cars and actually see them for some time, take some pictures of them and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, I didn't realize that was so unique to the U.S. until uh, you kind of educated us on that. No, I'm sure it probably there. I'm, I'm sure there are people from around the world that will now say, actually, it's it's prevalent here as well. But for sure, we don't see enough of it. You know, we have a a fairly dull autograph session at WRC rounds. You know, WRC could learn a lot from from what you guys do um, in terms of those parks. Uh, but it, it was great, and you know, you can buy all of your LSPR merchandise. Which can you buy that online now? Yes, yep. we, we will have it online, yeah, what we have left. They actually, so the, the vendor that we work with to, to sell the merchandise is the Rally Superstore, and she doubled her order from last year, and they ran out at Park Exposé. They had sold out of everything at Park Exposé. Wow, that's remarkable. In, that's in like awesome. one hour. So we are very, very fortunate that you gave us a couple of hoodies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I'll loop back to David's comment about the weather was beautiful. What he really meant to say was it wasn't snowing too hard. <laughs> but the snow's <laughs> coming there, apparently, isn't it? We're not far off from the snow here. We're right on the border season here. We had snow. We had quite a bit of snow last year during the event. And uh, everybody drove home on Sunday last year. And on Monday, they got 18 inches of snow. So, <laughs> and so to my understanding, uh, you guys moved the event because of that? Was that? No. No? No. Well, we, we try and keep it as early as possible in October just to avoid that. Okay. So traditionally, though, the the the, the XP rally and in, in the POR were run Halloween weekend, at, close to yeah, at the end of October or okay. even in a little bit of November. We've tried to move it forward more. When we took it took over the race years ago, we moved it forward a little bit more, and we've we've marched it forward to the second weekend in October now. And the, the goal here is to improve the weather. We want to be more 
more chance to be in the fall colors. We want the fall colors to be peaking. We're, this year we were a little late, actually. Mm -hmm. If you look at some of the photos from last year, you know, Brandon Semina going through the forest, and all the trees behind him look like they're on fire because the colors are so vivid in the bright sunshine last year. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this year we didn't quite get that, but we're, uh, we're trying, to, trying to be there for that. We're trying to move it forward to get that's what Without going too far, because, well, there's other events on the schedule that we don't want to bump up against, and we got to you know, give the competitors and everybody a chance to get, you know, multiple events in. Mm. But we're also trying to, uh, the local university has homecoming weekend and parents weekend at the end of October, middle to end of October, we're trying to stay away from them because they use every hotel within like an hour of Marquette, and we've... We can't compete with that. <laughs> no, mm -hmm. I got to ask though. Uh, I always see this, and I've never been able to attend one myself. But rally night, the yeah. week before the rally. Tell us about rally night. So about a month ago, I did one up in Houghton at Michigan Tech, and got a pretty good turnout. We got a lot of volunteers out of that. A lot of a lot of car enthusiasts. Some new to rally, some not. But it, it it's just another way to get it exposed to the community, and get more people out helping, watching, and all that. And then we've added the Northern Michigan one this year. And we hope to do more of those. And, and that's, you know, as you talk about year-long planning and year-long efforts, that's really something we're looking at moving forward is how can we have rally nights everywhere else? And I've tried this summer to do mini versions of that by going to car shows with a rally car and showing it off and getting people signed up there at least excited about it so that when sign-up happened, they could, could come join us. But One of our competitors uh, who also does off-road truck racing, Took his, he didn't compete. He took his rally car to the off-road truck race and handed out posters and decals. And, and he said he couldn't believe the the number of people that were coming up to do this. And and then he he's fully honest that he says that the doing the LSPR is way harder and challenging than any off-road truck race that he's ever done. Yeah, it, it is a very vast, spread out rally, and just the variations of roads. You know, like. Friday's roads compared to uh, Saturday's roads, it's almost like a completely different rally, isn't it? Exactly. We need, we, as a, as a driver, I, I want to find roads that are different. You don't want all the same fast flowing or, or car braking stages, but we want to mix the stages. We want to challenge people, you know, and, and that's, if you want to win a rally, you need to have, be a master on a variety of surfaces and, and be able to do them all. If you want to just super fast, smooth stages, go road racing. If you want to, a real sport that's challenging that is just to be able to finish the well the, the lake superior's tagline is oldest meanest toughest exactly you you just can't you have to drive the car you have to prep the car you have to drive the car you have to maintain the car during the rally just to get to the finish line yeah, you know it's uh it's one of those things the little logistical tricks here that my first time running this rally i you know we finished in lots and then had to be back in lots in the morning but i was so focused on the car i didn't even have time to look at the the SUPs and understand that you probably shouldn't stay back in Houghton the night uh, after the first night of rally. Drive so. an hour each, each way just so you can come back. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so I ended up with two or three hours of sleep, but that's something to think about here. It's uh, very spread out and just the, the variations in the roads is awesome. And we really saw that, you know, people coming off of Trouble and, and Valakissa are only even a few miles apart and two <coughs> completely different stages. And, and everyone was just coming off with the biggest smiles. A lot of people shaking coming off of Trouble because it, it was so muddy and slippery and, mm. you know, turning the wheel in and nothing was happening and it sounded like a very interesting time out there well, well we just, we want to make it challenging and a mix of stages and different driving approaches out you know just makes it more of a challenge our, our second to last stage uh, Mount Marquette was actually a rally stage back in when the WRC came here mm. and so it, it's a you know a little over a mile is all 
but it's a real rally road. It, it, it's, it feels like you're out in the woods and running one of those roads. It's short, but it's right in town. It's right in Marquette. It's super accessible to people, and we find that pretty neat. The, uh, the last little loop around the ski hill, often I refer to those as novelty stages, which they, they don't really resemble a real rally stage as much. But we found that route just looking at Google Maps, went and asked if we could drive it, and we're kind of looked at each other and said, geez, this is, this is a rally road too, and we can put spectators out there and expose the sport and the drivers to Is that a public road, or is it, does that belong to the ski hill? That's the ski hill service road. Yeah, it's not a public road. It's closed. Right, so I was thinking we could be quite interesting to go and drive that. You could drive the Mont Marquette Road. It is a is a public, public road. road. Is yeah. it? Yep. Oh, we'll go and have a. Oh, we'll check that out. You know, when you get to the top, you got to get out and climb over. You walk up over the rocks. And you can see the city, and you that'll give you an awesome view of of Lake Superior. Oh, really? And you see how big it is. It's it's like an inland ocean. It's a great lake. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is a great lake. It's, it's actually the largest lake by surface area in the world. Largest freshwater lake. Freshwater right? lake. And. You said the coldest. It's the coldest, deepest. deepest. No, it is not the it's deepest. It's not the deepest. Uh, Lake Baikal in Russia has significantly less surface area, but it is a lot deeper, and the volume of water in that lake is, is more. Okay. Yeah. Deepest of the Great Lakes, though, Deepest right? by far. Yeah, okay. Uh, every, all of the other Great Lakes combined will fit in Lake Superior. I didn't know that one. That, that's an interesting yeah. one. That's crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was there any, any issues? Did it end, were there any problems at all during this? It all seemed, I mean, pretty much everything was on time. It was all... Yeah, there, well, there's, there's always some issues that crop up during the, during the course of the event. Uh, so we had some radio issues uh, in the beginning, and the, my team, you know, they worked hard and they solved it, and we were able to, to run the rallies. We have a, also have a backup frequency, a backup radio network that we, that we had to switch over to a little bit. But other than that, I, um, the number of spectators... It's for the last two stages, there's always an issue, and that we were scrambled a little bit for that. But you know, it, we had enough people in place, and you know, I, from what I was told, they came off without a hitch. Yeah. And talk about a little bit about that. You know, you guys obviously don't have a problem with volunteers up here, but you guys can deal with those spectators. <laughs> not, not a problem, yeah, but don't yeah. Jinx us on that yeah. One. <laughs> <laughs> Getting we have awesome volunteers, and we hope they continue to come up. <laughs> but being able to deal with the crowd control, you know, some of the other rallies. Uh, they get scared when a lot of the people come just because it's hard to control all those people. Tell me about what is the process like of, you know, getting that fantastic spectator guide out. It's probably the best one we've seen all year, having those hard copies and being able to direct people. And how do you control that many people out on those stages? Well, and safety is our, our biggest concern, not only for the competitors, but also for anybody that comes out to, to cheer us on. And the more people you have, the more variety of places they're going to want to go stand, whether it's appropriate or not. And so keeping them in safe positions while allowing them the best viewing angles is really our goal. And that's, that's tough to do. Um, we, we look for spots. We try and banner areas and encourage people to stand behind yellow tape and not behind red tape because red tape means outside of corner or straight ahead on an intersection. The place is most likely to have car issues or get sprayed by gravel. And we just... We want to keep as many. We, we want to keep growing the accessibility for people, you know, uh, and doing that safely is one of our biggest challenges. It really is, and but we feel real strongly about that. We don't want to, you know, rallying used to hide in the woods and and mm. stay away from people, and it was easy to make it safe that way. You could just avoid people and and not show it to anybody. But we think a key to this sport being successful is having it available to more and more people. 
we've got to share our secrets here, haven't we? You know, yeah. this, this, oh, this yeah. is, is an amazing sport. And we see this time and again, you know, we talk about it. We certainly through Dirtfish, we, we, on a daily basis, we bring people and, you know, anybody that has a hot lap at a school, you put them in the car and they simply cannot believe what a rally car can do. Yeah. It, it blows people's minds. And this is something we have to trade on as a sport. You know, you, Formula One, boring, quite frankly. You know, look at what we do. Look at that stretch of road that you would not drive your car down there at 10 miles an hour. This guy's going at 100 miles an hour. And yeah. it's, it, it blows your mind. And we, the, the times now for me, they've gone that we hide our light under the bushel. We have to shout about what we've got. We have to, or we'll just fizzle. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's... You know, Colin McRae was famous for saying straight roads are for fast cars and curvy roads are for fast drivers. And we we want more curvy, twisty roads and being able to show that to more people is really key. Um, more media exposure is always good. comes with safety issues, but mm. we just need to work with that and keep growing in that direction. Yeah. I got I to gotta go to Europe and learn how they do it because that's, that's really got to be our model moving forward. And I haven't experienced that yet, and I really need to. And I but think we can use some of those best practices here. Trust me, though, there's, there's a lot that Europe can learn from coming over here to LSPR and, and being with you guys as well. Mostly about pasties, though, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> i got to say, though, I mean, just seeing how proactive you guys are, especially with the rally night, a few of my friends and a few of the people that have crewed for me have learned, I mean, they knew of the rally, but they learned how to actually get involved via the rally night. And I think mm -hmm. it really shows you. I, a couple friends that went to tech, they're flying up. from Now their they're full-time jobs, they've grown up, but they're flying back here for it and you know they want to get back involved in the sport they're finally getting some money to ready to buy a car and uh, they're always coming back to this rally because they they kind of learned about it here from you guys and uh, it's fairly obvious how proactive you guys are about that and I think maybe uh, maybe just kind of what you were saying there try to figure out how to add a, a way to get some of those people in the passenger seat in one of those rally nights maybe open up a stage or something a mm -hmm. couple weeks well, before well that's one thing that we used to do we used to do media events where we would put people in cars and go for rides and tell stories and they'd, they'd write it up and that's you know we, we kind of got the organization the event down and we want to start doing stuff like media rides and other things to expand that even more instead of just finding you a safe spot on a hill to to film from uh, we'd like uh, more media folks to experience it from inside yeah. the car yeah no absolutely i need to get involved i think perhaps the time has come just to talk a little bit about actually what happened in, yeah. the, in the last <laughs> the last two days <laughs> Quite a bit happened. I mean, yeah. it was a very exciting rally. You know, we just with the structure of Friday night's loop or yeah, Friday afternoon to Friday night, uh, we were fortunate enough to basically make it in between almost every single stage and see exactly how it was unfolding and saw a lot of consistent problems coming off, but not a lot of problems fairly night, on Friday night in general with the smoother roads, like you were saying. Not a lot of issues. How many cars and what happened on Friday night? What did you guys see? Well, we started 73 cars. Okay. I mean, from from my standpoint, it went incredibly smoothly. I mean, I got to go out and I got to go spectate a stage. I mean, well, I went out and met with the Forest Service folks that are allowing us to use those stages, and I really spent uh, about an hour with them in spectator corner and just watching how excited they are to have us use the roads, which was, was pretty cool. And the rangers, yeah. rangers help us out with, with logistics and crowd control at, at spectator points, and mm -hmm. it's greatly appreciated. But uh, I was really disappointed to hear that Leah dropped out after, you know, the first couple stages. She was going so fast in the Kazi, and then the fact that she, uh, she you know, she dropped out with an engine problem. I was really disappointed. 
Yeah, you know, just seeing some of those stage times, though, I think everyone coming into this rally was wondering, you know, where, where is Leah going to end up in getting those three stages down? Did you guys have a chance to look at those stage times? And I saw that she was running like top three and four times. Yeah. So that was pretty amazing. It was remarkable. And we, we were in exactly the right place. Probably thanks to your navigation yeah. and your general brilliance. <laughs> local we, knowledge. Local yeah. knowledge, exactly. Sadly, it was Clarky that noticed, though, wasn't it, that, that Leah was reversing when she should have been going forwards. Yeah, we were actually on our way back. And, uh, yeah. yeah, we were all in the car about to leave, and we saw Leah kind of backing down the hill. Mm. And they were trying to bump start the car because it wouldn't restart. Basically, uh, she shut it off at the time control three or four cars back and went to turn it back on and it just wouldn't start. It was cranking over and uh, they pushed her down the hill. A bunch of volunteers were there. They had a Christmas light set up in the trees because yeah. they knew it was gonna get dark. So it was just, you walk up to the time control and you know, 20, 30 yards before you see all these lights and all these people set up, probably 10, 20 people there. Yeah, and, they were uh, all quite thirsty, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, they were thirsty. <laughs> and they were very excited to help out. And that's another aspect yeah. of the, just the sport in general is that the people on the side of the road can, you know, the car's stuck, push it out. But seeing a car like that, Tried to bump start. They tried to bump start it in reverse a few times. Got it out on the main road. Tried mm. to bump start it, and it just just wasn't having it. it. Just, and it is, it was such a shame because even talking to to Brandon Seminook at the start, he was excited to see what she could do. First, okay, she's driven extremely, but that's a world away from what really matters in terms of of, of four wheel drive rallying and and what have you. And it was genuinely one of the talking points of the event was what can she do. Everybody has been astonished by what she's achieved this year uh, in the in the BRZ and, and winning open two-wheel drive with two rounds to spare was, was something. And it was just such a shame. And it, it did. You kind of get that incredible news rush of this thing's happening. And then when we drove away and poor Leah was, was just sat on the door bar, you kind of like, oh, you know. And it's such yeah. a tough one as well because same event last year, arguably cost Ken the championship. And that, state, that corner in Bob Lake, she, the corner that Ken went off on last year, Leah was saying that she had a, a bit of a moment there as, as well. So it was, it was a real shame that that big talking point went on the first loop of stages. Yeah, definitely. You know, and just talking to Leah briefly after, after the fact, you know, she said she was really looking forward to the Saturday's tighter, twistier stages. So yeah. uh, seeing how those stage times worked out for her and not being her her preference of stages, the Saturday stuff, it would be, it would have been so amazing to see where those stage times stacked up. Mm. And hopefully we see her back in another all-wheel drive car next year. I'm Kellen Koshal and I just did my first Dirtfish course, which was the one day women's course. My biggest surprise was how calm it could be in the car. And the calmer I was, the faster I could make the car go. The surprising thing about driving was that it wasn't necessarily a mental thing. I had to really get out of my head and into my body more. And I just felt a little more comfortable doing that for the first time around a group of women. But I will say, I do feel like I could do any of the Dirtfish courses now. I kind of know what to expect. and. You know, hopefully more women get into motorsports and then any day could be an all-women's day if just enough of us are in the sport. If I were talking to someone who was thinking about taking a class, was kind of on the fence, it would be, you know, what are you waiting for? It's such a fun experience. Um, you're going to really learn something and you're going to push your limits and maybe you'll even have some more confidence. Coming into the event, there were a couple of championships that were still still to be sorted. Yeah, so Javier Olivares and Matt Dickinson, basically uh, at Ojibwe, we talked about Matt and Javier, it all came down to the power stage, and Matt won it by 0.4 seconds. 
and uh, that kept the championship alive. So coming into this rally, I'm not sure exactly how it broke down, but basically Matt had to win the power stage and then kind of just to stay in the championship. So it really came down to that power stage, which I believe was stage 14? Mm. Was the power stage, Valakissa? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So uh, going into that stage, I think uh, Matt's plan was obviously get, get as aggressive as he can, and he told me going into that first corner, of Valakissa and just had a massive slide. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> just massive slide. Breeze. Yeah, yeah exactly. Check himself <laughs> a little bit. Up a <laughs> and uh, pushed, you know, he shaved 10, 10 seconds off, I believe, his second running for the power oh. stage. And uh, Javier was pushing. Javier kind of pulled back before that, I think. You know, he it's his championship to lose. If he were to go off, Matt would have just taken it. So yeah. Javi pulled back for those first couple stages uh, of the day, and then when it came to the power stage, Javi did end up winning it by, I believe, three or four seconds, mm. and uh, you know that, that solidified the championship for him. Yeah, and, uh, limited four-wheel drive, two-wheel drive as well. Yeah, limited so, two-wheel drive was open coming in. Yep. So limited two-wheel drive, Sean Donnelly and Chris Sladek. You know, Chris we've seen for years with the the Hart Rally team and his Hondas, uh, debuting the brand new car here, the Acura Integra. Uh, I believe Sean just had to finish the rally, mm. so he slowed down significantly and was just was conservative. And you know, you can you can see Sean. You know, we've met him now for a couple of events, and you can see his mentality. You know, his wrestling background, very aggressive, and he kept saying, you know, he just had to keep himself slowed down, and that was kind of the hardest part is driving slow consistently. Or he had yeah. a certain phrase that he yeah. was focused on. You know, all he had to do was make it to the finish to win the championship. You know, his first season out. It's amazing to see, you know, jumping into your first season and building up. And, uh, you know, he's still a little further back in the starter as, as he builds his uh, uh, speed factor up. Mm. So you're, we're going to see a lot more of Sean. But, you know, he brought it home, third place, uh, two-wheel drive, limited two-wheel drive here at this rally. That solidified the championship for him. Chris, yeah. debuting the, the brand-new car, still made it to the finish. I think we're going to see a lot more of that car. He said maybe they'll have a different driver with the Hart Rally team. You know, it's that club effort from Honda. Mm. Uh, going to see a lot more of that action next year as well. Yeah, no, it was great. And then just moving up to the, to the front, obviously another incredible performance from, from Brandon Semenuk and, and Keaton Williams to win and maintain a 100% record through this season, won every stage. Uh, and the same for, um, for Pat, Patrick Grushka, who won every stage in RC2 as well, was yeah. consistently second. Yep, so he, he locked up the champion as, championship as well, I believe, with two events to spare mm. as well. So, you know, he came into this event and was really just focusing on, focusing on experience. And uh, for focusing on experience, it didn't seem like he was uh, slowing down at all or, or changing anything. He was still pushing. Uh, had a lot of big moments he was talking about. Had one donut that, uh, you know, he cooked it too hot into a spectator corner, and luckily there was enough cameras there where we got lots of video evidence of it. Yeah. And, uh, he came in, overcooked it, and just stayed right in it. Full, went completely off the road, basically into a ditch, and just jumped back onto the road and kept going. You know, it looked just like Ken's donut in 2013, where he'd overcooked it when they were going for the championship just before his crash. There it was just a little overcook, down a gear, full donut, and back out. And it's great to see Pat's <coughs> progression this year. You know, not only with his driving, but just his mentality coming off the stage. He's so much more excited and uh, mm. really gained a lot of experience this year. And looking forward to seeing him back. Yeah, for, I mean, I guess for you, for you guys. It doesn't really matter, does it, if it's Brandon Semenok or if it's a guy who finishes last. They're all, all of these competitors are just so important to you, aren't they? Oh yeah, absolutely they are, and and we get to know them. And I try to introduce myself to every one of them. I want to want to find out why they want to come to this event. What do they like about the event? Um, you know, if we want to make it better, we want to make some changes. We want to make sure we don't change the things that people like. 
Yeah. It's hard for us to give up certain stages as we're working on our layout logistics because there's certain people that are very vocal about, you know, favorite stages and not letting them go and keeping to use them and things like that. The other thing I'll add is that, you know, Brandon Semenuk's mountain biking experience really has a lot of appeal and crossover uh, benefits to us up here. I, I, you know, and a not insignificant number of people that came out to see the event were mountain bike people. The Upper Peninsula of Michigan is a mountain bike mecca and, you know, Brandon being at the pinnacle of that sport as well certainly helps get us to get people out and you know then we show them rally cars and the experience and then they become rally fans and that's that's huge so it, I, and it is we spoke to him extensively before the event about of course it was red bull rampage in utah the same weekend and i said to him this is great you've chosen rallying over bikes and he's like well it's not exactly like that you know there was a whole and again go back to to dirtfish.com to read that story in the full explanation of why seminal did choose this one over over rampage but it it, it is a shot in the arm, isn't it? That you know he could have gone to that event, but he came here. He, he clearly is a guy who loves driving cars. Well, and last year he fit them both in because Rampage yeah. was the weekend after instead of overlapping exactly. And you know did did his thing here, did incredibly well. Hopped on a plane, you know, moments after the podium ceremony, and was probably in Utah, you know, <laughs> within a couple hours. And yeah, pretty exciting. So yeah, when uh, when Rampage announced their lineup this year. We all had that page tagged, and as soon as it came up and his name wasn't on it, we were pretty excited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because we thought, well, that increases the chances he's going to come visit us. I was doing the same thing. I was on the Red Bull Rampage site, and you know, every couple of days I was rechecking it. Like, has he joined the entry list? Because if he's on that entry list and he's on this one, there's going to be something going on there. And, you know, and yeah. he didn't need to be here. He he's already won the national championship, but you know, the the Super Rally team, they're they're always looking to the future, and you know, they're. This was a practice event and car setup event and, and things for them for next year. And I, like he said, you know, if, if he hadn't come here, he would have been out of the car from August to potentially February competitively. Yeah. So it is a big thing. But you, you're right, Eric. And if you want to see more of exactly what he did last year, go to YouTube and watch his. He did an amazing film, Balancing Act, which compares yeah. both or not compares, but it, it, it takes you through uh, those two events. It was it's great. So. I think we might almost be out of time, BK. It's getting close. It's getting close. Anything more? Any more pearls of Michigan wisdom you're going to share? Uh, I mean, there's uh, there's so much to talk about. It. I got to say, Steve, I want to ask. I'm pretty sure you gave me my first rally novice meeting, and you were competing in 2012 as well, or did mm. you? No, I was the I was one of the stewards for the Rally America. Yeah. And I really I really enjoyed doing the novice classes, and I gave a. I gave a lot of novice classes. I even did, I did Ken Block's novice class did too. Did you do? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, so. so you were the one that kind of guided him into the sport? Well, the, the novice briefing, it's, 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 it's a, an hour meeting on the safety requirements and what to do when things go wrong and, and really it's the safety. I didn't guide Ken into the sport, no. no. But I mean, there were so many little things. I, I still think back, even when I'm telling people at the rally schools, the little, the little nuances that you don't, you know, I'm not going to read the rule book. I'm, I'm a driver. I'm, that's my co-driver's job. I just need to make sure the cars work, and that's either <laughs> I'm always my own mechanic as well. Usually, so it's those little things like you know, no backing up in the control. Those little things like that that I remember from the novice meeting. I think it was you and Rob Bond, maybe. Yep, that yeah. would make sense. Okay. If you go off, how do you make it safe for the next driver so that the next car coming around the same corner doesn't run into the back of you? You know, you get your triangles out. And, uh, yeah, you know, exactly. How to operate the fire systems. Where to wait? <laughs> and that's one of those things, you know, just. But, it's those little moments like that and those little things and the, the knowledge that you guys can pass on going forward 
into the next generation and looking forward to the next generation. I hear maybe there may be something at this event next year with you guys and some family members competing here. So my daughter or drove, she usually co-drives for me in the car that she helped build. And earlier this summer, she drove it and I co-drove, which she made it very clear to me that it was a temporary thing that my job was actually driving instructor, not necessarily co-driver. So uh, next year, there's some big plans afoot for, for Katie, my daughter, to, to drive the car. And then who's gonna co-drive, Eric? Uh, my daughter, Camille, who was prime, my primary co-driver for the last five years I was competing. So yeah, my, my two co-drivers were my kids for the last five years. So it's kind of fun to see oh, that's that. fantastic. And especially the girls getting together to move forward. My son was competing this weekend. They had a famous rollover on stage eight, one roll, landed on the wheels, and you can hear in the video, go! <laughs> and they had about a second pause and they were back on the, on the throttle finishing the stage and that was kind of fun so we'll try and get you the video for that one too. Yeah, tell us and about you have to go and pick up the pieces yeah that, that part. I had to go pick up the pieces after that uh, his laptop and uh, wallet and everything fell out of the car when the rear window smashed and I went and found him in the woods after that <laughs> laptop was fine laptop uh, I think we haven't even looked yet <laughs> I'm almost afraid to open it up and look the wallet was in there that maybe is the most important yeah. thing cash was gone but wallet was there <laughs> <laughs> well after I <laughs> but what, what is that like you know uh, I race with my brother all the time but we're both drivers we would never want to get in the car we joke sometimes about switching seats and doing a rally together where we drive every other stage but we've never been able to pull it off but what is that like having your daughters co-drive for you Oh, it's awesome. You know, it's it's more family time. There's a lot of families and a lot of brothers, sisters, you know, husband, wife, father, yeah, father, son. son. Yeah. yeah. It snowed a couple years ago. It snowed summer. We did a father-daughter challenge because I think there was five teams entered where the dad was driving and their daughter was co-driving, and that was kind of fun. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so. And I won't say who beat who at the <laughs> table, but um, anyway. <laughs> but Ender McCormack with his son yeah. Sean yeah. here, it, it is a real great kind of family thing, isn't it? It's, but I think maybe the time's come to to pick a moment from the the week. I've only asked this yeah. because I do have a moment. I, I'm gonna say seeing uh, Zach Jocks and his dad. Uh, Zach used to co-drive for my brother, so I, I've known yeah. Zach for a long time. See him grow through the sport. Him and his dad actually have switched to driver, co-driver. They, they co-drive for each other all the time, too, so it's really cool to see that. But him coming off of stage 15, double trouble, which is the water gushing out the mm. front end. And to, to see them immediately just kick into action and start looking for solutions, grabbing pliers, crimping that, yeah. and then seeing them at the finish line. You know, it was one thing. We just saw them drive away, and it's yeah. one of those things you have no clue. They pulled in, steam everywhere, yeah. water gushing trying to figure Are out the problem. Make it? Yeah, and they had like a 45 second minute lead for the regional rally, seeing them drive away and then seeing him pull into that final stage was it was a moment for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. And my moment comes from the same place, but it was the guy who asked us both if we could kick his ass. Yeah, <laughs> what yeah. was his name? Zane? I Zane, that's the fellow. So yeah, Zane. You had a, an amazing, all of the volunteers on this event, all 400 of them, as we talked about, were incredible. But this, the crew at the end, at the stop line of Trouble and Double Trouble, Zane, this guy, Zane, he stood in a, in a kind of cut-off boiler suit. And it was freezing at yeah. times. It was genuinely cold. And he'd driven from Missouri... Yeah, I think he said 100 Acre was his home rally. Yeah, he, so he'd driven from Missouri to Michigan in a in an ex-state trooper from yeah. Florida. An that old was, Crown Vic. It, it, yeah, whatever that means, I'm not sure. <laughs> Some people don't know. But it, he was just the best character, and he was just... So he'd bought this board, and apparently this guy always asks the crews a question, 
at the end of every stage, and the first question was, can you kick my ass? And then everybody universally, I think, said no. I think, I can't remember. But the second question for the second running of the stage was, can drivers read? And what was your response? I just saw a bunch of scratches on there. I, I see the numbers, but what is the question you guys are asking people here? But it, it, for me, talking to him and just seeing the enthusiasm from those people, they stood at times in the pouring rain, and it was pretty chilly. You know, it was down in the low 40s. So in, in normal speak, that's around 10. Uh, sorry, it's around 3 or 4 degrees or something, as we know it. Uh, it was cold, but it was just this fantastic kind of community spirit. And your man Zane was just the funniest guy. And it, it was... Amazing. I have a story about Zane. Seriously? Yes. So actually, the, the control, that whole control was uh, Hunter Dickerwood people oh, running that control. And when me and me and my daughter Katie went to do Hunter Dickerwood earlier this year, uh, we were it was the first race where we had the new the new larger motor figured out and running good, and we wanted to do some do the practice stage before the race to to get the feeling of the car better with all the extra power we had because I really wanted to do good. And like the second running of the practice stage, the clutch literally exploded on us. And we limped out of the stage and I called one of the 100 acre wood people that I know who was actually at the finish. And she made one call to Zane. And because there was a, Zane was staying at basically a rally frat house in Salem, the small town of Salem, Missouri. And Zane said, meet me at this shop in 20 minutes, and I'll see you there. We get there. He had already reserved a lift. We put the car in our lift. We pulled the transmission out, found that the clutch was just absolutely exploded. And he had a buddy who was coming from Colorado Springs, like eight, eight or ten hours away, who had the clutch I needed on the shelf. He, the guy immediately closed the shop, grabbed the clutch, jumped in the car, drove all night long. Oh my goodness. He got there in the morning with the clutch. Uh, him and Zane put the clutch in and put the transmission and put the car back together. Well, me and Katie were doing recce. We got done with recce. They had delivered the car to, to tech inspection. We showed up, we ran the car through tech inspection, and we went out the next day and raced. That's, it, that That's is awesome. just incredible, yeah. isn't it? it you really, know, Zane, you're all of our heroes now. Yeah. <laughs> just meeting Zane, I mean, just doing that interview with him, that totally makes so much sense with everything he was saying, like yeah. with the gambler and cleaning up the trash. It's a totally. total community guy and, and yeah. loves it. And I think the all the competitors were loving the questions, seeing so many of those posted <laughs> online and so many new memes from his question board there. Yeah. Go back. That's it. That, all of those... All of the videos are still available in Dirtfish Live Center, so go back to dirtfish.com, click on the link to Dirtfish Live Center, and you can relive the whole event from top to bottom, and you'll find Zane in there. He's a great character. <laughs> so we need to I do your wait to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Eric, tell us about your uh, favorite moment from the weekend. Um, I don't know that I have a favorite moment. You know, there's a lot that goes into putting this thing together, and just when the event starts happening and everybody starts out, gets out there and starts doing their thing. It's it's fun to see the teams overcome adversity. It's 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 awesome to see them help each other out. Um, you know, the community of spectators is growing and we want to keep that going and just seeing all the people that we had out in the woods as well as at the spectator areas was super exciting to me and you know, it gives us energy and allows us to 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 build on that and and hopefully put together something even better for next year. Yeah, you know, Tell us a little bit about just you know the, how the energy fall off. We were talking about that this morning. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's such a build up. The rally hangover thing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, yeah. What is? How do you looking forward to next year? Do you guys take any time off? You said you already started planning it a couple weeks ago. Yeah. 
You guys yeah, just jump right back into it. You said today you have people looking at new stages. Yeah, yeah, we have uh, some of the sweep guys on their on their way back home. Purposely took a route that would take them through this new new section of roads that we wanna we wanna look at. We've looked at already. We want to get more people to see the roads, is to see if if they see the same stuff that we see, and they're they're routing their way home through those sections of roads to do GPS tracks to to make notes on what they think and how they think, and look for new ones in that area as well. But we're behind the scenes. We're working on road permits for next year, and hopefully expanding our road choices. Um, we're looking at trying to do media different and better. We're trying to do spectator management different and better. Uh, and that's really a year-long process. You know, we, we do take a little bit of a pause. We don't have quite as many meetings and quite as many eyes focused on, on all the day-to-day -day logistics, but we do, you know, we stay at it all year. Mm. We need to end with Steve's moment of the weekend. Was it meeting Colin Clark? Was it? Absolutely was not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, my moment, there's actually two moments that, that stand out to me. And the first one would be, this Saturday morning, Park Expose, when we did the moment of science for, yeah. for Al, and uh, just the the way that people came around it, and uh, when I announced that uh, that his oldest daughter had had a son the day before, yeah. it was in in the way that everybody reacted to that, and the moment of science was was really touching and special to me as well. But then later on, when we were doing the award ceremony. And one of Al's big things was the last stage selfie. He was always doing selfies with, with all the competitors. And we organized, I think, the largest selfie that I've ever seen where we had all the competitors come up, but we had all the, the spectators turn on their flashlights of their phones and to illuminate the scene. We had 100 people or more illuminating the scene, and we took photos of that. And it was, that was, I don't know if I'm ever going to forget that. That was pretty special. Yeah, it was amazing to see you know, all those phones. It was almost like a rock concert there, a Taylor Swift situation going on, seeing all those phones <laughs> light up like lighters or something. It was, it was a great moment. Um, but I think that about does it for us here. It does. Very yeah. sad. We very sure sad. appreciate you guys coming. Yes. Being part of the, the fun and action. And well, thank you for having back. us. We thank you. you. You yeah. might regret that. Yeah. We, we're not <laughs> friends for life here. We, we and you can bring Colin if you want. To <laughs> okay. No, it's been great. It's It's been an absolute joy. It's a phenomenal part of the world. Uh, and certainly, you know, I'm I'm not going to forget this event for a long time and look forward to, to being back next year. So thank you very much. You're very thank welcome. You. Thank you. And David, going forward, what, what can the listeners look forward to here in the next couple of weeks? Uh, we have got the Central European Rally in just about 10 days, starting running through, starting in Prague uh, and running through Czech Republic, Germany and Austria. So quite a unique, it's not actually a unique round of the World Championship. Kenya, Safari Rally did the same, running three countries. Um, but yeah, a, a new event to the calendar, so super excited about that. Tarmac Rally, of course. Uh, can Kelly Rovenpera sew up a, a second championship um, in as many years? And then after that, we've got Japan. Uh, but plenty of news, views, and analysis. So stay tuned to dirtfish.com. Another thing just to think about there, Dirtfish Live Center, all the events, all year. Recap those and uh, check that out, dirtfish.com. Check out Dirtfish Live Center, all the ARA rounds as well as the WRC rounds. You can relive the event. Thank you for joining us.